welcome to Sundays at Grace, the podcast ministry of Robinson Grace Church in Grand Haven, Michigan. I'm Pastor Bill. I am so glad you joined us for this edition of the podcast. I am so excited about this uh, week's message. Uh, I've been at the church about 15 years now, done about 90 sermon series, and I have to say this sermon series is probably my most favorite ever, most meaningful for me personally, a spiritual EKG where we're looking at this new creation heart we receive when we put our faith and our trust in Christ. Today's message is simply the deepest desires of our heart. And we're going to see that our greatest need is indeed our deepest desire. Hey, if you'd like to download handouts for this sermon, or if you'd be so inclined to support the ministry of Robinson Grace Church, you can do that all online at mygc.com. And we thank you for stopping by there if you so choose to. Uh, Anyway, I I think today's message, you're going to find it very encouraging. Might learn a thing or two about your new creation heart that might just blow your mind, but it's good stuff. So let's get right to the message today. The deepest desire of our hearts. this morning, who is God? If I asked you that question, um, I'm sure we would get a wide variety of answers. Who is God? What would your answer be? Now, I can get that. It can actually be be an overwhelming question. I mean, if we were to to do an exercise, say we did an exercise and we took out a blank sheet of paper or 20, we put at the top, who is God? And we just started listing the attributes of who God is. I mean, we would go on and on and on, and the reality is we'll get to to glory someday, and we'll learn more about God that we didn't even know about Him in this world. The reality is, if I made a list such as, here's a list like God is faithful and powerful and merciful and just and loving and tender and patient and forgiving and kind and compassionate, and He's full of peace and joy and hope and purpose and wisdom and truth, and all of these things would define God, right? If we made a list and we just started listing His attributes. Now, here's the thing. If I made a list, where would I find, where would would this list get derived from? I I can think of two sources for this list that we would make. What do you think those two sources would be? Well, we get to know God through His Word. That would be the first source, right? We open up the Scriptures, we read about God, we learn that God is holy and powerful and faithful and mighty and just and all of the things that God is. There's another source, though. You know what the other source might be for uh, where we would compile this list of who God is? Creation? I knew someone would have a different answer than what I had up here, you know, throw me for a loop, but, uh, but here's the answer that I'm thinking of, because we could look at creation, that's a good answer, actually creation's another place to look and see who God is. Uh, I'm thinking that we get to know God through our life, because all those things on that list, we would look back at that list, God is powerful and He's faithful and He's merciful and He's, he's full of wisdom and hope and purpose and joy, and the reality is our life would validate all those things. Our life would validate everything on our list, probably, because we would look back and say, yeah, I can remember when God was that, when God was that, when God was that, and how God was all of these various things in my personal life. So we get to know God through His Word and through creation. Thank you, 
uh, Rick, and we get to know God through our life, through the life that we are living. We're in week seven of this series, a spiritual EKG, and we've been looking in this series at our heart. And contrary to what is popular belief sometimes, your heart. If you are in Christ, if you know Christ as your Savior, if you are a new creation, born again, then your heart is not dirty, it's not disgusting, it's not deceitful, it's not incurably sick, it's not hopeless, it's not untrustworthy. We saw last week, we can trust our heart. We often hear, don't trust your heart, it'll get you in all kinds of trouble. We learned last week, we can trust our heart. Today we're going to look at another issue when it comes to our heart And that's the deepest desire of our heart. What is the deepest desire of my heart and of your heart? Here's what I want us to see this morning. Our greatest need is our deepest desire. And we can see this from both sides of the grave. What I mean by that is you are dead in your sins in Adam on this side of the grave. Your greatest need is Christ. And if you're on this side of the grave and you have... You're in Christ and you've been born again and you have a new create you're a new creation in Christ. Your greatest need is, is still Christ every day to live out Christ. And so our greatest need is always our deepest desire. And what is our deepest desire? Well, it is to know Christ. Here's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. We'll start here. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What a powerful passage by Paul. And here's the thing that is so incredibly amazing about this passage, is that Paul writes this, get this, 25 years after his conversion. 25 years earlier, Paul is on this road to Damascus and he's struck down by this bright light and he is, he is saved, enters into a relationship with Christ and 25 years later, 25 years of studying Christ and 25 years of preaching Christ and, and, and 25 years later of serving Christ and suffering for Christ and Paul says, I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to share in his sufferings. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to be just like him in his death. What a reality for Paul to come out and make this statement and make this claim. So from both sides of the grave, we can see this. We can see, first of all, that our deepest desire in Christ is to know Christ. If we have a relationship with Christ, if we're a new creation in Christ, our deepest desire more than anything else is we want to know Christ. That's at the core of our heart. And then the reality is, is that if we are, well, if we are dead in our sins in Adam, look at this verse. If you're dead at your sins in Adam, there's a great contradiction that exists for you on that side of the grave. We're told in Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. 
And so if you're on the other side of the grave, if you're dead in your sins in Adam, here's the great contradiction. The great contradiction is this, is that you want to know Christ, but you won't seek him. Bible says nobody will seek God. You might look at that and think, well, what hope is there? I mean, goodness, how, how did I get saved? If no one will seek God, how does anyone get saved? Well, in about four weeks, we're going to start an Easter, or we're going to start a Christmas series. Can you believe that? In four weeks, Christmas is here. We're going to start a Christmas series. And what is Christmas? Christmas is the good news that what? Christ came to seek us when we wouldn't seek him. So yeah, we won't seek God, but God will seek us. Christ will seek us. He'll come to us and we can respond. We can say yes or we can say no. And if we say yes, we're in Christ and our greatest desire is to know Christ. And if we say no, we're in Adam and this great contradiction exists that we want to know Christ, but we won't seek him. The deepest desire of our heart. Thankfully, God seeks us in our emptiness, our brokenness, our hopelessness, our sinfulness. He chases after us all the way into the darkness because he loves us that much. And Paul says that I may know him 25 years later. Paul makes this claim. We talked about this in Sunday school last week, that the more you learn about God, the more you realize there is so much more you don't know about God. And that's Paul's testimony right there. <clears throat> he knows He knows. He knows God as well as anyone, and yet he wants to know. He wants to know Christ. One other thing you're knowing, this idea of knowing is not an intellectual thing. It's not a chapter and verse thing. It's not that I know God chapter and verse, that I know him intellectually in my head. It's that I know him by experience. Yeah, we can make a list of things out of the Bible and my, my knowledge, my understanding of God, sure, it starts with the scriptures. It's rooted in the scriptures. I make a list by the scriptures, but they're validated by his work in my life. And when Paul says, I want to know him, it's he wants to know him in his own personal life. Look with me at Ephesians 3. We're going to begin to explore this idea of knowing Christ this morning, and we're going to start with this very passionate prayer that Paul has. We were in Ephesians 1 last week. That's the other prayer that Paul has for the church at Ephesus. But here we are. Here we are as we're going to look at this idea of, of knowing Christ intimately and personally, not just in our head, but in our heart. Paul's passionate prayer, it's rooted in their potential. Here he is in Ephesians 3, for this reason, says Paul. I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's just walk through that prayer real briefly here and just highlight a few things. For this reason, again, we've talked about this. Paul writes for this reason. Paul is simply looking back again. He's looking back at all of their spiritual blessings in Christ. He's looking at, at, at the fact they have this great relationship with Christ and all the blessings they have in the body of Christ with the other believers. And he's saying, for this reason, because of your incredible potential in Christ, I'm praying that you would know that potential. I'm praying you would know the fullness of the potential that is in you, which is the fullness of God. 
And then he says this, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. What does that mean? I mean, isn't Christ already indwelling them? Yes, Christ is already indwelling them. There's two words for the word dwell there. One word is someone who comes by as a stranger and takes up kind of a temporary residence. The other word is the word used here. It's, it's someone who comes and makes a permanent dwelling, comes and moves in permanently. And so Paul is saying that Christ would, 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 would dwell in your hearts by faith, but isn't he already dwelling in our hearts? Didn't he already take up permanent residence? He did, but here's what Paul's main thrust is here, is that the Christ who indwells us would really indwell us, would really live in us. That people would look at our lives and say, hey, there's somebody else living in your house that's not living in mine. Kind of like this. If you remember in the Old Testament, when God would come down on the temple or on a mountain, right? The glory of God would come down, the presence of God, and it would consume. And I think that's the reality here, that Christ who indwells them would consume them. That Christ who indwells us would, would consume us. Totally consume us. That others would look at us and know that Christ indwells us. Or maybe they don't know it's Christ, but they would know there is something different about our life. He prays the Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. And then he says to be filled with all the fullness of God. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, right? For us to be filled. When we're filled with the fullness of God, when we're filled with the Spirit, it's an internal filling. Like Bob was filled with anger and Mary was filled with hope. And, and it's this internal feeling. It's not an external feeling. We have the fullness of God in us. Paul prays we would know the full potential of the fullness of God. That we would be filled internally with the fullness of God. That the Christ who indwells us would indwell us internally for a whole world to see. We see the verse here, John 7, 37. Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, but Jesus was not yet glorified. And when Christ went to heaven, <clears throat> he sent the Holy Spirit down. And the Holy Spirit comes today and he fills up our hearts and he pours out of our hearts. We're to be filled with the fullness of, of God that is in us. It's an internal filling. And then he wraps it up and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And that's really how, as we know the love of Christ, as we know the vastness of God's love, this is how we begin to experience God. This is how we begin to know Christ. As Paul says, that I may know Christ. It's as I experience the love of Christ, I begin to know the fullness of God within me. So the question I have today really then, and, and we'll look at our big idea here, but, 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 but really the, the big idea this morning, I guess we'll start here, is this. My greatest need is my deepest desire, which is to know Christ and to be consumed with His love. My greatest need is my deepest desire, which is to know Christ and to be so consumed with His love. And so I want to look today at two ways that we can know Christ. I had three. We're, we're going to say one for next week. Two ways that we can know Christ and be consumed with His love. That's the reality today. 
How can we know Christ more personally and deeply? How can we know him beyond chapter and verse, beyond head knowledge? How can we know him in our heart and in our life? Here's the first way to trust him in our circumstances. We will get to know, <clears throat> we will get to know God more personally and intimately and deeply when we trust him in our circumstances. Again, the words of Paul, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. And again, we see this is more than just head knowledge. This is beyond the personal revelations he had about, you know, God gave him those personal revelations and explained to him the message of grace. This is far more than that. This is knowing Christ personally and intimately. Yeah, have you ever witnessed two strangers come upon each other and they've got some things in common and, and immediately it's like they're old friends. You know, you have two guys that served in World War II or something and they're total strangers and they start to talk and all of a sudden it's like they've known each other for their whole life. Or you got two women maybe and they both work in different parts of the country and they, they work maybe in really rough inner city schools and they just start dialoguing about their job and the next thing you know, it's like they've been friends forever. Uh, there's just this reality and and, and when you look at Paul and you look at, at Christ, you would say they, he shared in his sufferings. They had a relationship that was really tight. They related to, to this idea of suffering for the gospel. I'm not saying that their suffering was identical, but I'm saying that, yes, Paul certainly suffered for the gospel and shared in the sufferings of Christ. That is the reality. And then again he says it, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Look at a, a great thing. Paul knew Christ as he shared in his sufferings. Let me give you one example. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Here's Paul's testimony. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope, is for, our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. And Paul knew the God of all comfort in his suffering. Just as Christ found comfort from the Father when he was on the earth and when he suffered, so did Christ find comfort in the Father. And Paul also knew the greater purpose behind his suffering, that when we suffer, that we go through experiences, that we can then, then take those experiences and we can relate to somebody else who is suffering. I mean, that's the story of Christ on the cross, right? Who didn't just go to the cross and die for our sins, but he went to the cross and took all, anything we would ever experience, he took it on himself in his body on the cross, and he can relate to whatever you're going through in your life. There is no situation you will not walk into. There's no temptation you won't face, no struggle with sin, no hurt or pain that Christ cannot relate to. He is the God of all comfort. The reality is 
We are to be filled with the fullness of God and the love of Christ so we can pour ourselves out to other, others. And, and the reality for Paul is that, again, he got to know Christ. He got to know Christ as he shared in his sufferings. And as he knew Christ more fully in his sufferings, he then poured himself out in service to others and in comfort to others. He understood what others were going through. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. John McCrae writes in Christian history, listen to this, the Apostle Paul spent roughly one quarter of his missionary career in prisons. Roman imprisonment was preceded by being stripped naked and then flogged a humiliating, painful, and bloody ordeal. The bleeding wounds went untreated as prisoners sat in painful leg or wrist chains. Mutilated, blood-stained clothing was not replaced even in the cold of winter. Most cells were dark, especially the inner cells of a prison, like the one Paul and Silas inhabited in Philippi. Unbearable cold, lack of water, cramped uh, waking hours, miserable, uh, cramped quarters, and sickening stench from few toilets made sleeping difficult and waking hours miserable. Because of the miserable conditions, many prisoners begged for a speedy death. Others simply committed suicide. In settings like this, Paul wrote encouraging, even joyful letters and continued to speak of Jesus. How did he do this? How did Paul have such an attitude? Because his greatest need was his deepest desire, which was to know Christ and to be consumed with his love. That's how Paul did it. The greatest need and the deepest desire of his heart was being fulfilled in that prison cell as he shared in the sufferings of Christ. You see, Christ did not simply indwell Paul. Christ consumed Paul. And he, he got to know Christ in his circumstances. He trusted him in his circumstances. In fact, I can think of three ways that Paul trusted Christ in his circumstances. Uh, Paul trusted Christ to know what to do. That's the first thing. We continue on there in 1 Corinthians. Here's what it says, or 2 Corinthians. Here's, here's what it says. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. He goes on. But what was to make us rely, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us on him. We have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. And so the reality is here, Paul trusted Christ to know what to do. And it's really simple. You know, Paul doesn't hide anything here. He's very transparent. He says, look at the suffering I'm going through. But here's the, the question I had here is, why was Paul in Asia, in this, in, this, in, in this state that he's in right now, suffering in Asia? Why is he there? Anybody know why he's there? Don't overthink it. 
He's there because that's where Christ sent him. That's where God sent him. And Paul's life was simply about what God wanted and where God wanted. And if it was suffering in Asia, so be it. If it was sitting in a prison cell writing a letter to another church, so be it. Whatever God wanted, wherever God wanted, Paul was all about what God wanted. And he trusted God in his circumstances by simply, uh, by simply trusting him with what he was supposed to do. As I said, Christ didn't just indwell Paul. Uh, he consumed Paul. He consumed Paul's agenda. And he consumed Paul's fear. And he consumed Paul's worry and his will and his struggle and his pride. Christ consumed Paul. And Paul was human. He had his moments. I'm sure he had his moments. There's times when the flesh won out. And, but most of his life, we see the picture of a man who was so consumed with the indwelling Christ. He trusted Christ by, uh, by simply trusting him to know what to do. What do I do next, Lord? And then he trusted him by, by basically how to handle what he faced. Whatever he went through in life, he trusted Christ to know how to handle what he faced. And I just love what he says here because what Paul does here is that Paul blows up a, a myth today that has circulated the church for years. There's this myth out there, and you've probably heard it before, right? There, there's this, this, this thing that God will never give you more than you can handle. Let me just tell you today, that is fake news. That's fake news. And Paul says it right here. He says he's real clear. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. And so Paul said, hey, I had more than I could handle. Why did he have more than he could handle? So that he would. What the last, the last sentence there, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. I love that. He relied on the God who raises the dead. The very gospel that Paul preached, he went out and preached the gospel, right? The gospel of the death and resurrection. And the very gospel that Paul preached was the very gospel that empowered him to preach it. He trusted Christ to handle what he faced in this world. And that was so that he would rely on God. But also note this as well. He says this in verse 11. You also must help us by prayer. And so let me just say that this, this morning that we also have more than we can handle so we'll rely on each other. Reality is I need you to pray for me and you need me to pray for you and we need to pray for each other and that's the way God has designed it that we would rely on each other. We won't make it through this world on our own. That's the reality. In the end, we get to know Christ when we trust Him in our circumstances with what to do and how to handle what we face and finally He trusted Christ simply with this for the results of His obedience. For the results of his obedience. In fact, I posted something on Facebook about a week or two ago from Oswald Chambers. I love this quote. Let the consequences of your obedience be left up to God. Real simple. It's our job to obey. To be so consumed with Christ that we simply obey and we follow him and do whatever he asks. And we just let the consequences of our obedience up to God. That was Paul's testimony. That was Paul's life. If the consequence was a prison cell, so be it. If the consequence was suffering for the gospel, so be it. And the reality is for Paul, one definitive result, one definitive consequence of his obedience 
and of his sharing in Christ's sufferings, one definitive result was the fact that he got to know Christ more deeply and more personally and more intimately. See, it was okay with Paul because his greatest need was his deepest desire, which was to know Christ and to be consumed with his love. And as he suffered and as he shared in the sufferings of Christ, this became a reality. His deepest desire was to know Christ and it was being fulfilled and Paul was fine with that. And that is his prayer today for you and me, for the church at Ephesus, that in our every trial, struggle, and circumstance, we would know Christ more deeply as we experience his love. I'll give you one last thing here before I move on. And Paul knew there was no circumstance as well that could separate him from God's love. In Romans 8, he says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we read that, you know, and I think what a great declaration by Paul. What an amazing confidence he had in Christ. And I think this goes both ways, though. I think we read this, and we read this, and this is the way it's to be read. We read this primarily as Paul saying, well, Nothing can separate us from Christ because Christ has a hold of me and Christ will never desert me and Christ will never let me go. But I think there's also maybe a sense in here of Paul saying, I don't care what I go through. I don't care what I faith. Nothing on my end will separate me from the love of Christ. I will not let go of Christ. I will not stop hanging on to Christ no matter what I suffer, no matter what I endure. Because I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrections, and I want to share in his sufferings and become like him just in his death. Kyla Mueller, 26 years old, was captured by ISIS, and on February 10, 2015, U.S. officials confirmed that Muslim extremists had murdered her while in captivity. In the spring of 2014, as a captor, she wrote to her family, the letter begins with Kyla's assurance that she had been treated well and is in a safe location, completely unharmed, and healthy. The 26-year-old aid worker goes on to apologize touchingly to her family for the suffering that she has put them through because of her captivity. Then comes her central proposition. I remember mom always telling me that in all, that, that, that in all, in the end, the only one you really have is God. I have come to a place and experience where in every sense of the word, I have surrendered myself to our creator because literally there was no one else. Kyla, who was involved in the campus ministry at Northern Arizona University, goes on to relate how God, and by, your, by God and by your prayers, I have felt tenderly cradled in freefall. She adds, I have been shown in darkness light and have learned that even in prison one can be free. I am grateful. I have come to see that there is good in every situation. Sometimes we just have to look for it. She concluded, please be patient. Give your pain to God and know you would want me to remain. I know you would want me to remain strong. That is exactly what I am doing. Do not fear for me. Continue to pray as will I. By God's will, we will be together soon. All my everything, Kayla. She wrote that in 2014. In 2015, she was murdered by ISIS. And how can a girl like that have such hope, such confidence, and such joy? 
Because my greatest need is my deepest desire, which is to know Christ and to be consumed with His love. And we can be consumed with His love even in our darkest moments. So we know Christ as we trust Him in our circumstances. And then we know Christ, secondly, as we experience Him in our relationships. As we experience Him in our relationships. And here's the fascinating thing. We think about the Scriptures, right? And we think about the Scriptures as primarily being about our relationship with God. But it's amazing how much of the Scripture is about our relationship with each other. It really is. While the Bible is primarily about our relationship with God, much of it is also about our relationships with each other. And I'm going to show you something here in this second point that is just so amazing and phenomenal. But the thing is, God always intended for us to be in relationships. You go back to Genesis. It's fascinating in Genesis, right? God creates, and every day God gets done creating. He gets done creating the first day, and he, he creates the, you know, the, the sky and the water, and he says it's good. And the next day he creates the sun and the moon, and, and he says it's, it's good. And the next day he creates the plants and the trees and says it's good. And the next day he creates the birds and the beasts, and he says it's good. And on the last day, <clears throat> on the last day, he creates Adam. Adam creates mankind and he looks at mankind and all of his creations and he says, it's very good. And then you stumble over into chapter two and all of a sudden God says, it's not good. Wow. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. It's very good. It's not good. What wasn't good? What about his creation wasn't good? It was not good that Adam was alone. Adam didn't have anybody for him. There was nobody on the earth just like Adam. God said it's not good because God always intended for us to be in relationships. And we saw it a moment ago that we can't handle this life on our own. We need to pray for each other. We need to be there for each other. And the reality is we learn something more about God through Eve. There is something we learn about God through Adam, the male, and there's something we learn about God through Eve, the female. It's no wonder that in, our, in, in a society that is, that, is, that is increasingly turning upon God, we have all these struggles with what is a man and what is a woman. It's no wonder. It's an attack on God. Because God is revealed through men and is revealed through women in unique ways. And I've talked the last two weeks, I've made the point that the moment we're saved, God puts us into his family, into his church, into his body. And we all come and we have unique personalities and we have, we have unique interests and we have unique skills and talents and gifts and unique life experiences. But you know, we come to the church and we all have the Holy Spirit. We all have the mind of Christ and we all have this new creation heart. And, and we're all one. We're part of God's family, and that's the way God always intended it to be. I find this amazing reality. It was so evident last week in Sunday school. We sit in a small group Sunday school study, right? We're studying Hebrews, and over here, you know, uh, Steve says some profound thing, and then somebody else over here says some profound thing, and someone else over here says some profound thing, and you, you get done after 40 minutes of studying the Bible together, and you realize all these profound thoughts that came from all over the room and gave you a complete picture of God. That's just the, the way it works. God speaks to us and reveals himself through a plurality of relationships. You want to know God more deeply and more personally? Yeah, we, we do that through our relationships. Now, there are many passages we could go to in the scripture that talk about 
our relationships. Paul especially has many. I'm going to go to one this morning. I want to show you something really fascinating about our new creation heart. So we're going to go to the, the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. And here's what Paul says. If I speak in, in, the, in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, Paul starts out here right away and says love is so important that if you don't have love, everything else is a waste of time. Everything else is worthless and invaluable without love. That's a pretty strong statement by Paul. That's a pretty powerful statement by Paul. How can he be so bold and so adamant on this issue? Paul says you can have all kinds of spiritual superpowers and without love, it's all a waste of time. Love is clearly vital. But how can Paul be so bold and so adamant? And have you ever asked yourself that question? Why is love so important? It's not like, it's not like Paul says, you know, you need love, it'll improve your relationships. Paul says, if you don't have love, you ain't going to have any, any kind of relationship. They're all a waste of time. That's what Paul's saying. How can Paul say that? Well, let me answer that question. I don't think we've probably maybe ever considered it before, but, but, but why is love so important that without it we have nothing? He goes on. Why is love so important? We go, he goes on. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. So we read this, we can see the value of love. We can see how choosing love will be positive, right? It can improve our relationships if you just live that out. It'll improve your relationships, that's true. But Paul's saying this is more than just improving our relationships. This is without love, everything is a waste of time and it's invaluable. So what is the point here? What is Paul saying here? What's the greater case that Paul is making? Note, first of all, what it doesn't say. Can I tell you what it doesn't say in this verse? It doesn't say this. It doesn't say a gentle person loves, a kind person loves, a patient person loves, a forgiving person loves, a humble person loves. It doesn't say that. Now, why is it significant that it isn't written that way? Well, I suppose for one thing, it could be that a person could be gentle and not love. Or a person could be patient and not really love or be forgiving and not really love. All of their behaviors could simply be self-serving behaviors, right? And we said it, I think, the last couple of weeks. We do not need more behavior modification. We need Christ. And the reality is the way this is written, you could actually take the word love out of there and put Christ in there. That Christ is patient and Christ is kind and Christ is humble and Christ is and Christ is and Christ is. Here's the reality of how this is written. This is what you need to see. This is what is so significant. And, and, and this will really show you something cool today. Is that before love is a verb, it has to be a noun. We've talked about that with other issues before, right? But here it is again. Because in this passage, love is not a verb. Love is not something you do. Love is a noun. Love is who we are. How amazing is that? 
It's not a verb, something we do. It's not the gentle person loves. It is love is gentle. Yes, we are to love God with all our heart, mind, body, and soul. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're to love our wives as Christ loved the church. We're to love as in love is a verb, sure. But before love can be a verb, love needs to be a noun. And Paul says, if love is not a noun in your life, everything in your life is a waste of time. Everything is worthless if love is not a noun in your life. Now, now watch this. This is really powerful stuff, so this is what I want you to take home today. Really personal and powerful, okay? Love is a noun, which means that love is, in some senses, our identity in Christ. But get this, love is also the condition of a new creation heart. Look at Romans 5, 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let me paraphrase that for you. That simply means that, in other words, everything that is described in 1 Corinthians 13, that 1 Corinthians 13 love has been poured into your new creation heart. So a new creation heart is a 1 Corinthians 13 heart. Everything that it describes love as being is in your heart. And when you need to be filled with love, it's an internal filling, not an external filling. It's not a behavior modification. It is Christ coming to indwell me and coming to consume me from within. And that's Paul's prayer. That he would know Christ. That he would know the love of Christ. That Christ would consume him from within. Wow. In fact, let me give you another example here. You know there's a word <clears throat> for patient sometimes used. I think it's the King James word. Watching this week, um, Passion, Passion is a worship band, real popular worship band. And they were at Way Radio Station and they were doing this thing. They had to guess whether this quote was from Shakespeare or from the King James Bible. And those of us who grew up on the King James Bible, you know, we think, well, you'd get those all right. But I think we forget to lose sight sometimes that people in their 30s, they maybe never read the King James. They're just used to the, you know, these newer translations. And so they even actually had, one of the passages was 1 Corinthians 13, you know, and they're reading it out of the King James and they guessed it was Shakespeare. <laughs> but you know, anybody know what the King, quick quiz, what's the King James word for Patient. Anybody know? Long-suffering. What a great word. And I thought about that reality. I thought about that, you know. Patient equals long-suffering, and sometimes we suffer for our relationships. And when we suffer for our relationships, you know what? We are just more like Christ. That's not me. That's Christ in me. That's Christ consuming me. And I'm not saying that you have to be in a situation where you have to suffer forever in a relationship. That's not even what I'm implying there. I'm saying when we do suffer in our relationships and when we fight for our relationships, that we're, we're being Christ. That we're loving out of a new creation, 1 Corinthians 13 heart. And the reality is God calls us to love people a certain way and go figure, he gave us a heart that is capable of doing just that. Capable of doing just that. I can think of people who have been patient in their relationships and have suffered in the process and that, my friends, is Christ. That, my friends, is Christ. Paul prayed to know Christ by sharing in his sufferings. And sometimes we love others in our relationships. We most certainly do get to know Christ more deeply as we suffer in our relationships. Let me go back here to Ephesians 3 a minute. 
that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. As Christ not only indwells me, but consumes me as I'm filled with the fullness of God, it comes as a result of being rooted and grounded in His love and realizing the vastness of His love. Just think about this. Paul prays they would know the vastness, the height, the depth, the length, and width of God's love. But where is that love? That love is in them. That's the reality. To know the vastness of God's love for me is to know the love of Christ in me. To have the love of Christ just so consume me. We think about 1 Corinthians 13. That's a picture of the vastness of God's love in our relationships. And this is the love that has been poured into our hearts so we can be filled up with this love and we can pour it out to other people. That means that if you have a new creation heart, you have the ability to be patient, the ability to forgive anything or anyone, the ability to be humble, to bear all things, believe all things, hope for all things. And so what did we learn this morning? We learned that my greatest need is my deepest desire, which is to know Christ and to be consumed with His love. My greatest need, my deepest desire. I do that by trusting Him in my circumstances. And Paul did that by trusting God to know what to do, how to handle what he faced, and to simply trust Christ for the results of his obedience. When he was obedient in his relationships, he trusted Christ for the results of what would transpire. And then he did that also by experiencing him in our relationships. We get to know God as we experience him in our relationships. And before love is a verb, it has to be a noun. And then we need to know that our new creation heart is a 1 Corinthians 13 You know, we can be consumed with Christ and experience His love in our relationships, in our struggles, in our circumstances, in our temptation, in our sin. Our relationships, our circumstances can bring out, think about this, it can bring out our fear, our doubt, our worry, our anger, our resentment, or any other destructive emotion. We can go through cancer and pray in anger. Or we can go through, um, through cancer and experience the love of Christ, the vastness of God's love. We can go through a financial difficulty or a job loss and pray in fear and doubt and bitterness or we can experience the love and the faithfulness of God. We can go through a divorce or have another significant relationship implode on us and we can pray as a victim. We can pray in resentment or we can experience the vastness of God's rich, deep love which in turn fills my heart with the fullness of of God's love, which is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians in this very, in this prayer, for this very reason, because of the potential within you, because he looked at their life and saw their potential, because the fullness of God indwelled them, that the fullness of God would just erupt within them. This is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, that they would know this love, and it's his prayer for himself, that I would know Christ the power of his resurrection that I may share in his sufferings and become like him in his death. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for these hearts. 
Thank you for these hearts that beat with your desires, that want what you want, and most importantly, we want to know you. We want to know you and we want to be consumed with your love, consumed with your glory, consumed with who you are. And so I pray this week as we go home, help us take this message and just know how to apply it to our life. Help us know how to to trust you in our circumstances. But Lord, help us just find that one person that we can reach out to this week and we can take the love of 1 Corinthians 13 and we can pour it into that person's life. As we're filled with God's love, we are filled to overflow into the lives of those around us. So I pray you put a name on each of our hearts and we would take that person and we would love them this week as Christ does. And all God's people said, Amen. If I could add one caveat to the end of the message, I would just say this, that this, this new creation heart, this 1 Corinthians 13 heart, it really hinges on the fact that we are new creations in Christ, that we have put our faith and trust in Christ. As I said, uh, our greatest uh, need is our deepest desire, and that works from both sides of the grave. If you're on the side of the grave where you have put your faith and trust in the resurrected Christ, then you are a new creation in Christ. But if you're on the other side of the grave, if you have not put your faith and trust in Christ, then it is true. There's this great contradiction in your life that you want to know Christ, but you won't seek him. But the good news is he is seeking you and he is uh, knocking on the the door of your heart and and he's saying, hey, would you let me come in? And if you will just, just, uh, if you can just believe today uh, that Christ came to to die on the cross, to pay the price for your sin. Yes, we are sinners. We have wronged a holy God. But if you can believe that Christ has, has, has taken your place on the cross and paid the price for your sin, and if you'll just humbly receive him today, ask him to be your savior, he will come into your life. He'll make you a brand new creation and he'll give you a new creation. 1 Corinthians 13, heart. How cool would that be? Hey, let me just encourage you today that if you have that new creation heart, that you would just just choose one person, whatever person God puts on your heart, and then go to 1 Corinthians 13 and read through that passage and just pick out one of those nouns, one of those descriptive nouns, and say, I'm going to love this person this week uh, in this way with my new creation, 1 Corinthians 13. Heart. Thanks so much for joining us for this edition of Sundays of Grace. We look forward to, uh, to talking with you again next week. Good day. <laughs>